welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and before we get started, I want to remind you to apply for the Guild Academy Femtech Edition. This is an eight-week virtual accelerator, so if you have a femtech idea or early-stage startup, apply to be part of it. We are bringing together the biggest names in femtech, including prominent investors, to get your company the rocket fuel it needs to hit your next milestone. Apply at letsguildacademy.com backslash femtech. Applications close September 18th. Alrighty, so in today's episode, I interview Kathy Sabag, CEO and founder of Gila Health. Gila Health is a one-stop shop for femtech products and services. They have a super unique business model where they actually sell the access to the marketplace to employers. Then the employers can in turn offer access to their employees as part of their healthcare package. Gila Health makes it easy for employers to roll out a single program for their female employees to access healthcare tools they and their families need to be happy and healthy. The Gila platform features more than 120 leading femtech solutions that have gone through rigorous medical review process for the highest standards of quality. Also, fun fact, Gila Health is named after Henrietta Lacks, or Gila Cells, Henrietta was a black woman who had cervical cancer in 1951. Her cells were cultured by scientists without her consent or any compensation to this day since 1951, y'all. Her cells became the first living human cell line that have been used in almost every single area of science around the world. They've even been in space. To date, HeLa cells are still widely used, and her family has yet to receive compensation for their great-grandmother's contribution to medicine and science. So thank you, Kathy and HeLa Health, for honoring Henrietta by naming your company after her. Hey, Kathy, welcome to the show. Hey, Brittany. We are so excited to be here, and thank you so much for having us. We're so humbled by this amazing opportunity. Yeah, definitely. No worries. I mean... Uh, we've actually been getting a lot of downloads in Israel, and that's where you're located, right? That's right. We are located in Tel Aviv, about five minutes uh, from the Mediterranean, which is a really nice place to have an office. That sounds really nice. <laughs> I want to be locked down five minutes from the Mediterranean, you know? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, why don't you tell our listeners about your background? Our listeners love to hear our guests' personal story. So, you know, where are you from? What did you study? And then how did you end up in women's health? Yeah, um, so I had a, I have a pretty untraditional route um, to where I am today. Um, so I'm actually born and raised um, right outside Chicago in a suburb called Highland Park. Um, went to public school and in high school, I got really into social justice, um, and started working, um, you know, in, in low resource settings and spent a summer abroad when I was in high school in Uganda, um, and really started learning about, you know, international development and different issues around economic development, education and health systems and how they were sort of all linked together. Um, and I became really passionate about, 
you know, working in low resource settings, um, specifically with, with, with women, um, and how we could leverage community-based development to really uplift, um, countries and societies as a, as a whole. Um, and so I went to university at George Washington University in BC, where I studied development. Um, and right after graduation, I started, uh, at a U.S. government agency in a political appointee office called uh, the U.S. Agency for International Development, or USAID. Um, and I was really lucky to land a position in the Women's um, uh, Gender Equality and Women's Empowerment Office, mm. um, where I had the opportunity to um, work with former political appointees on really crafting an innovative um, program that put women and girls to the center of care, whether that was healthcare or education or economic empowerment. And, really doing multi-sector development. And while I was there, we were working quite a bit with private sector, with Intel and Microsoft and a number of different NGO alliances, Nike. And I became really passionate about how technology um, could empower women globally to really take control of not only their you know, education and traditional economic empowerment through small loans and those type of efforts, but also their healthcare. Um, in places where they may not have, you know, physical brick and mortar, or, you know, they may be, there may be a shortage of healthcare workers, whether they're doctors and nurses, their tests, et cetera. And so I was offered an amazing position um, in Tel Aviv at a company called Mobile OVT um, that was developing a cervical cancer solution for low resource settings. Um, and there is when I, you know, really started to dig deep in product design and figure out how can we innovate in women's health and provide amazing solutions? Um, so I really started working um, in the intersection of tech and health uh, about three and a half years ago. And it's just, it's just been an amazing journey um, working in all resource settings from rural Alabama um, to India, uh, China, Cambodia. And yeah, it's been incredible. Oh my gosh. Well, quick question before we get into your company. Um, is are these government agencies or positions that are like empowering women's health? Do they still exist? They do. Um, there are well, first of all, in the in the United States, there's certain you know Congress sets the budget levels mm -hmm. for how much is spent in each office, and each year there's a budget request from the agencies, and so. Um, certainly the levels um, have been down since 2018, mm -hmm. um, but there are earmarked funds from certain members of Congress to ensure that women's health and wellness um, don't only get their own special funds um, at USAID and other government agencies, but also are integrated and taken you know, a, a look at very carefully in part of other programs. So you can't have really a healthcare program without addressing gender issues in it. And that's a really positive uh, policy development. Wow. So if one of our listeners, maybe they're studying political science or, you know, public health, how would they get involved in something like that? Oh, well, there's so many, <laughs> there's so many ways. Uh, Sorry. I know I'm totally uh, deviating you know, from our interview questions, but I actually personally am very oh. interested in this too. So. Oh, God. This, I could talk about this for hours. There, I mean, there's so <laughs> many ways. I mean, first I would urge them to think about what region um, they're interested in, in working in women's okay. health. So if they're interested in low resource settings, I would encourage them to look at, um, agencies like USAID, um, you know, department of state, they hold the PEPFAR funding for HIV AIDS. Um, if they're interested in more domestic type issues, there's health and human services. I mean, they're just looking at the government agencies is a really good start. And mm. then the second place I would, you know, really encourage new grads to look at is 
Also, um, places who do government contracting work. So government actually doesn't implement their own programs. Usually they usually contract out through grants or like through business mechanisms. And so in international development, for example, if you're working on health and wellness internationally, you can look at companies like Harmonics or DAI. And I don't want to say any company is better than the other, but if you want to do more like on the ground work, um, that's a great place to start a career as a young professional to really get the tools to work on the policy, the budget, the business um, side of things, and then also really get your hands dirty with, you know, community members and help them help them build better programs. Wow. Amazing. Sorry, I totally took us down that rabbit hole, but that is really interesting. And, you know, not everyone listening wants to be an OB-GYN or wants to be an entrepreneur, you know, they're interested in affecting women's health in the way that is their talent. Right. And so thank you so mm-hmm. much for letting us dive down there a little bit. Um, but let's yeah. get into your company now. So Gila Health, um, tell us what is, what is Gila Health? Yeah. So, um, I would like to start to tell, you know, how I came to Gila Health, yeah. um, the why and the inspiration. Mm. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically I was working at Mobility T, which is that company I spoke about in Tel Aviv. We were developing, um, you know, AI for cervical cancer technology and trying to replace the the pap smear since that's a test developed for like your grandma's not that accurate. You can do so much better. Um, and during that time, um, I was, my husband and I were, were going through an infertility struggle for about three years. Um, and I started the IVF process. And I also had a pretty intense work schedule. So I was working late, running some meetings, and I was also traveling all over the world. So I was looking for technologies that could help me um, better balance my IVF schedule to become pregnant and my work schedule, because I was really passionate about becoming a mom. And I was also really passionate about my work, and I didn't want to give up um, either. Um, And so I found different testing solutions that maybe would make me have to go to the you know the lab last mm. or the clinic last or things I could do at home or maybe at home fertility solutions before IVF. Um, and I took them to my doctors and, and you know first I would spend what days after days looking for things and looking for reviews and aggregating solutions. There was no like one place nope. to find women's health technology. Yep. The second issue is I would bring these technologies to my doctor and my nurse practitioner and they would say, well it seems great, but you know, I I I can't manage like a new technology just for one patient. So <laughs> yeah, my way or the highway. And I totally understand that. And you know, yeah. 90, 91% of healthcare professionals in a survey um, that I read a few weeks ago said that they are really excited about digital health tools um, that can help empower their patients, but they don't have the capacity to learn about them, figure out the clinical evidence and support them. Yes. Um, yeah. I totally understand and um, they're super busy. They have so many patients, but we said we want to make a change. Um, so the idea for Gila Health was born that we wanted to make a one-stop shop for women's health and wellness across the lifespan, anything from birth control to menstruation to fertility, pregnancy, um, chronic conditions, postpartum care, menopause. We didn't want to exclude any uh, life stage for women. We wanted to aggregate solutions that were designed for women, um, not just like packaged pink um, and then Sultan, yeah. that's a great line from um, our lawyer, Ariella Dreyfus. Um, and I think it's so true. And so we, we started to aggregate solutions into one stop shop. And we started actually as a consumer facing um, marketplace where women could just come out, come and find the technologies and buy them on their own. 
Um, and we actually stumbled upon a much bigger problem, which was actually the health access side of things, um, as well as women's own willingness to spend money on their health and wellness. And we Ooh. hit a big roadblock, um, you know, that, that first of all, we were still by having a marketplace, we were still locking out the 90% of women who don't have the financial resources mm-hmm. to afford these technologies. Mm-hmm. We want to get them those resources. Um, and a lot of women still, even if they can't afford it, aren't spending money on their, on their own healthcare, instead prioritizing their partner, um, needs or just living in, you know, chronic pain or whatever the issue is. And so we, we did a bit of a pivot and we said, okay, we want to offer this marketplace where women can find any type of solution for their care, whether that's apps or wearables or devices or products or telehealth platforms, um, and they don't have to pay for them. Um, so on Gila Health, we do exactly that. We're a one-stop shop. Um, employers and insurance companies can fund, um, all of these different products. Um, and they're also, everything on our shop is curated and vetted by medical experts, um, who have, you know, worked at Harvard Gynecology and Beth Israel and Genesis Fertility, um, which is a large IVF clinic in New York. And we stand behind all those um, products and services is really high quality and also have an, an expert service to help women um, actually use those technologies in case their their healthcare providers aren't able to support them. Wow. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, that, got me. I like, I went out of ramble. <laughs> no, it's so good. I just, I'm saying, wow, because I have so many questions about so many little pieces. So let's start with Um, so you have this marketplace, you have these products and, um, women are saying, I would love to have it, but I can't afford it. Or women may be coming, but they said I could afford it, but I'd rather spend this money on my kids' healthcare or something. Right. Well, that's so interesting because, um, you know, we have like 30 or so episodes on this podcast and I'm getting feedback from people saying, Hey, listen to this episode. I loved what their product is, but I went to their website and it's $400, you know, wish, wish I could have it. And I was like, Oh no, like, Oh, how do I empower the founder and their revenue model? But how do I empower my listeners to get product? You know? So that's, it's, I feel like, okay, wow, this is like an issue, right? Is the price of stuff and, Also, but one thing I do want to ask you about is I've heard investors ask femtech founders, will women actually spend money on improving their health? And so far, the argument that I've heard and that I've had is, of course they will. We're tired of being sick and tired. But what you're saying is that actually when it comes to paying for themselves over their family, they choose their family. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's really um, in an individual case by case basis. Mm -hmm. I think like really painful and chronic issues that are debilitating, um, you know, women are, are spending on themselves, um, but there's still, you know, a really small percentage of women in in the United States who can spend $400, like you said, on technology, even if they are willing to spend, let's say 75, that may not enable them to get the best solution for them. Um, uh, or that they need or their personal journey. And on the other side, these femtech companies are doing amazing work, mm-hmm. innovative technologies that are actually allowing women for the first time to really take control of their care yeah. in a way that meets their needs, is sensitive, fits their schedules and makes sense. And that R&D cost, that research and development costs a lot of money and yes. to bring those tools to market. And like you said, we don't want to take that away from founders yeah. because we want more tools for women. Yeah. And so 
you know, we see ourselves like an interlocutor between, you know, bridging the gap between um, women who want these technologies and just mm-hmm. can't have it. And I think when we dig down into the socioeconomic status and the health access issues in America, unfortunately, the vast majority of women, um, again, are just not spending um, lots of lots of money uh, on their health and wellness. Not that they don't want to, because they can't. Yes, um, yes. And we're, you know, when we talk to employers, even for hourly employees, you know, the gains in productivity, just use the LV breast pump as, as an example. Um, it's, a, it's a breast pump that goes in your bra. It's totally hands-free and controlled by an app. The amount of hours, um, you know, that you can you can save in the job if you choose to pump hands-free as opposed to going in a break room. And, and we believe that women should be empowered to choose what she likes. Yeah, yeah. Um, for an employer, it makes sense. Not a lot of money. Um, yeah, and so that that's the approach we've we've taken, and we're we're seeing we're seeing some really interesting uh, first results. Yeah, you know, you are not the first company to come on here and say, "Hey, we either started to just target the consumer women, um, and then we had to pivot and go through the employer to her." Um, and then there's some companies that say we knew from the beginning we had to go to employers to empower the women. And um, sometimes it makes sense to me, like a lactation suite in an office. But, you know, we had Joe Connolly on here and it's an app to track your endometriosis symptoms. And he started the company Mm -hmm. immediately target employers. And I was like, why do employers care? And he's like, cramps affect your work. You know, these women are bleeding so bad. They have to take three days off every month. The employer should care about that. And so I love seeing yours as well being like, targeting the employers to help subsidize these costs. What has been like the response of the employers? Has it been easy to convince them? Is it hard? Is it, you know, who, who are the decision makers? Is it HR? Things like that. Tell me. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. Every company is really unique. Um, I would say that uh, generally the decision makers are the head of HR. Sometimes in, mm-hmm. in companies they're called vice president of people and culture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or the benefits administrator, et cetera. Um, universally across all types of companies, our first response is generally, we love our benefits and we're not looking to change them. <laughs> um, this, is really, this is really interesting. And we say, okay, that's great. Um, are you sure that your benefits are meeting the needs of everyone? They're like, yeah, we're sure. Mm-hmm. And so we said like, okay, great. Let's just get in a call and talk through them so we can learn about how our benefits can, you know, help you know, be like your benefit. Yeah. And during those calls, we we learned that most benefit programs actually aren't thinking about women's health and wellness mm-hmm. issues, like very specifically, like they may be thinking about new family benefits, yeah. like um, sometimes we'll get a lactation consultant or pregnancy support. Um, but, you know, a lot of those benefits aren't necessarily thinking about the needs of diverse populations. So LGBTQIA couples is, the, is there for you know, fertility support and surrogacy and adoption, um, support in these types of efforts, you know, uh, biologically different groups of people are, you know, susceptible to different things. So people of Southeast Asian descent suffer from higher incidence of type two diabetes, um, Mm -hmm. in, in black women, it's a lot, a lot of it is socio-determinants of health, mm-hmm. um, you know, have more advanced cases of di- diagnosed uh, breast cancer cases later. And that yeah. can be for a lot of reasons. But the reality is that each different, every, every employee has their own diverse needs. And we ask, like, are you sure that your benefits are meeting those needs? And the answer usually is, oh, my God, they're not. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And here comes your health and what's what employers 
respond to most is that this is a really easy way for them to make, to allow their employees basically to choose their own journey yeah. and to be empowered to choose whatever tool they need and whatever service they want. And we have some really specific things in our platform. Like we work with a company called Diet Care, who's doing, you know, a program just for new moms. Um, we're working with a company called Avira that does uh, basically helps with, you know, severe period pain. Mm-hmm. Um, we have tampon subscription services and hands-free breast pumps. It's just the options are endless mm-hmm. um, and it really allows people just to take control of their own care. And what employers love is that now they don't have to sign, you know, 50 different contracts for yes. their workforce and they can work through one single contract to roll out so many options. And so um, once we start talking about the benefits, they get, they get pretty excited about mm-hmm. it because um, it, it meets everyone's needs uh, without also those awkward conversations and trying to figure out like, okay, we have three employees with diabetes. We have two employees with endometriosis. Those are not such obvious issues and it's not always comfortable for people to talk about. Yeah. And so if my employer isn't on your website, can I as an individual not look at your marketplace and purchase things from it or is that still available? So right now... Um, where everything is totally free still. Um, Signups, we really want to support women through COVID. We know that the nature of care is, has changed in the last three mm-hmm. months. Um, so through September, we have totally free signups. Um, and then after that, it is $5 a month to be a member and you get access to all of our classes, um, our Ask an Expert service and ex- exclusive discounts on our platform. Um, and if you're part of the employer plan, then you also get what's called a digital health wallet. Um, which is basically a set amount of money that your employer can give you um, every year to send them anything that you like. With no oh my gosh, cash. so cool. I love that business model. I love it. I love it. The investor in me is very <laughs> excited. <laughs> That's awesome. How many products and services are currently offered on your platform? Mm-hmm. Right now we have 120 uh, women's health and wellness services exclusively for women. Mm-hmm. And they go through a pretty intense uh, curation and vetting process. Yes. So we're only taking things that our medical uh, and scientific advisory board can, can stand behind. I love that. So I am a PhD in genetics. So I have a pretty good grasp on reading graphs and biology to, you know, um, but I'm not an MD. I'm not a medical doctor, right? And but my partner at Femtech Focus, she's our chief uh, or uh, medical director. I'm switching my language between for profit and nonprofit. We're a nonprofit. We don't have chiefs. We have directors. So she's a medical director, and um, she's a pediatric OB/GYN. And there are deals that I've been seeing. You know, uh, potential clients for not our Femtech Focus. They want us to help them fundraise or they want us to do whatever. And so I've been looking at pitch decks of different medical devices or drugs for women. And I've been very excited. Wow, this looks amazing. This looks so great. And so I send it over to her to do a double check. Like, what does she think? And it has been shocking to see what she comes back with saying, this already exists. Like, I don't even know why they think this is different whatsoever. Or this is not an improvement of what currently exists, or that's not even how the uterus works. I'm not sure if they've ever talked to a doctor because no doctor would say that that works in a uterus. Um, It's been really, and I mean, she doesn't hate everything. There's also things that she's like, this is, this is the one, this is really good. I'm really interested in this. Um, But I'm so, so, so grateful. You have a board of people 
reviewing the products before you publicize them because we've been attending a lot of femtech like pitch competitions and like showcases and her you know Dr. Julie Hakim and I are watching these and she's like a doctor is not on the committee for this conference in terms of who they picked because if the doctor mm-hmm. was on that committee they would never let that person be a finalist you know what i mean so mm-hmm. Do you, do you see that sometimes that some of your board looks at certain products and says, no, we shouldn't promote this or yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely happened. Um, we don't share the company names. Um, there yeah. are sometimes where products are really innovative and they're using a really different method and there's just not enough clinical evidence yeah. to say yes or no. And mm-hmm. so what we do is we just label the products on our site that this is something we're really excited about, but we would consider this experimental. And the reason we do that is so that women can make the choice on their own of if they want to decide, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to risk it. And I want to try this product anyway. Um, Cause they, their evidence looks promising and yep. it meets my needs. Yeah. Um, something like, you know, a fertility tracker that relies on body basal temperature, BBT um, or LH or, or different types of hormone tests. That's, established yeah um, in the yeah. medical literature and so you know we'll label that something different um and, and that way women can make more informed decisions so we don't want to take away the experimental items That's um right. but yeah there there have been times where we're just like our medical board said you know we, we can't stand behind the <laughs> evidence or yeah. evidence yeah uh, yep. that they show us so wow so impressive and how do you find these you know women's products do you are you just like googling or like how do you come across them and is there just so many to pick from or, is, or do you feel like you've saturated it you know yeah so at the beginning we spent obviously we're startups and a lot of time um serving the market and just googling and learning everything that's out there and aggregating we did a lot of like manual uh you know uh, basically cold emails and reaching out to people um, and you know, there is a lot coming out rapid fire. Um, and so, uh, you know, they're, they're like, Femtech is hot and it's getting a lot of investments, mm-hmm. but we're still at the beginning of the industry, oh, yeah. I think. So oh, yeah. like, I think a lot of solutions are going to be ready in a year to oh, four yeah. years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're still pretty early. Um, so it's not like we have like thousands of products to review yet. Um, and we feel like we're, we're coming in at a good time because we're building our infrastructure and getting ready yes. for that, you know, that those sorts of scale deployments. Um, and as these technologies generate more gender and sex aggregated data, we also think there's going to be way more to choose from yes. in the future. Um, and now that we're starting to get a brand and a name, companies are starting to come to us, uh, which is really nice. <laughs> Amazing. And so the companies that can sign up on your, for your platform as like a health benefit, um, are they all in one country? Because what I'm thinking, the reason for this question is, what if it's a, you know, I know Mosey Baby is someone we interviewed at the direct-to-consumer product in the United States, but she knows like Asia is going to want her, but they don't have an infrastructure just yet to sell to Asia. So like what I'm asking is like the companies that come on, are they limited to certain products that can sell in that country or tell us about that part? Mm-hmm. So right now we're only launched in the U.S. Okay. Um, part of the reason is most of our partners um, on the platform only have the capacity to provide product shipping as well as online services in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, though as the femtech market grows, we also expect our reach to grow as yeah. well. Um, we are planning on launching in the U.K. later this year because that's sort of like the second largest femtech market. 
And then every market we launch in, we just have to be really careful. We also do online classes and services. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure that we're meeting all the regulatory um, requirements and privacy requirements to offer health uh, yeah. information and, and support. So we go, we, we definitely go market by market. Yeah, definitely. Do you find yourself like doing different types of things that are more culturally sensitive or socioeconomic sensitive? Because um, I know you were talking about that before. Definitely. Um, I mean, diversity and inclusion for us has always been, uh, you know, really the mission and the drive behind our company. And we want to provide health access to everyone. And often, unfortunately, you know, Black women, Hispanic women, um, women who are from lower socioeconomic statuses just have um, lower access to healthcare in general. Um, You know, it's really hard sometimes to get away from a job to go to a doctor. And so you can have a teleconsult whenever you want for a very specific women's health issue, like a pelvic floor um, physical therapy session online, which is something you can find on our platform. You know, that that's super empowering. Um, and so we're, we, one of our criteria for accepting, um, our products and services is that they also value diversity inclusion. So all of our telehealth partners will find diverse practitioners. Um, we only accept companies who have specific, you know, commitments to inclusion as well as LGBTQI issues. And it's super important for us. And we've turned a lot of service providers away um, who don't meet that need. And, you know, just, you know, now, which is great. The forefront of conversation is diversity inclusion in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, so as Black Lives Matter, as Black Lives Matters, you know, re-services and really is is the forefront of of employee engagement, which is really important. But for us, we actually are called Hila, um, named after a woman called Henrietta Lacks. Her cells were pretty unfairly taken from her and used uh, in medical research. Um, she was an African American woman, a woman. So we named the company in honor of her because she wasn't given consent and because she didn't have the proper health access to address her cervical cancer um, that was completely preventable death. We wanted to honor her her legacy that even if she didn't give consent, that she's contributed so much to women's health um, and wellness and many of the tools that we use today are because of her. Um, So yeah, so diversity inclusion, I would say, has always been... uh, at our core. I love that story so much. Um, you know, for our listeners, before we started to record, I was like, how do I pronounce it? It's Hella. And she said, no, it's Hila, like Henrietta. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, Henrietta, because I used Hila cells when I was in a laboratory studying cancer. And um, yeah, the story of Hila cells is absolutely I mean, it's horrific, but it's also like not surprising given all of the history that's being, you know, revealed right now. You know, this was a African-American woman with cervical cancer and um, it just like her cells were could grow just like endlessly. And scientists were like, hey, we could use this in the lab and like study cancer treatment. But she her family has never gotten money based on, you know, her cells essentially being used in every lab around the world for decades now, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So thank you so much for honoring her in your company name. Um, I similarly try to honor female scientists when I foster dogs and they don't have a name yet. I've had a lot of, um, I've had a lot of Rosalind's I call them Rosie, but for Rosalind Franklin, the real actual discoverer of the shape of DNA. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. So uh, I Hila should be the next one. Hila should be definitely the next one. Um, well, this has been seriously so amazing. I am really, really excited about this because, you know, something at Femtech Focus that we've realized is that we didn't want to be one product. We didn't want to be one thing. There's so many products and resources. And so that's really why we're doing this podcast and trying to show the the breadth of women's health and wellness, you know, and it's, it's not just things that only have to do with the uterus. It is also the woman's experience. It is things that affect us differently or disproportionately. And so I just, I love the diversity we're getting on here and um, what you're doing is, is really important. I love it. So here's two more questions that our listeners love. The first one is we have a lot of uh, aspiring entrepreneurs. And so what is an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? What's a product you wish you had on your website? A big, where's the hole? Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much going on in reproductive health care, which is amazing, but women are a lot more than their boobs and their vaginas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, for me, sex and gender disaggregated is so important so that we can start innovating on, on, you know, chronic conditions like diabetes and heart disease, yes. um, stroke, dementia, anything, and start building women specific solutions because, um, we know that women's bodies respond differently and need different types of tools and therapies and drug dosages. So I think that that is an area where we need to see a lot more investment and innovation in general. I love it. I love it. And by the way, you actually just reminded me of another question I had really quickly. Do you sell sex tech products on your platform? And if so, are employers, do they think like, sure, yeah, we'll pay for sex tech? We don't invest in, we don't offer sex tech. Uh <laughs> Uh, for our B2B marketplace, but we do offer um, tools to address chronic pelvic pain, which 32% of American women experience chronic pelvic pain um, Mm. at some point throughout their lives and many it's their whole lives. And so anything from pain during uh, intercourse, uh, endometriosis, Mm. uh, pelvic floor issues and stress area incontinence are all uh, areas that are up for grabs. Even like we have a class on like the, you know, basically the you know, effects of, of hormonal birth control, um, on sex drive and other things. And so we, we do address topics like that. Got um, it. Got it. Yeah. As employers get a little bit more progressive, we'll be off, we'll be able to offer, uh, sex tech, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe products for sexual dysfunction or issues, but no dildos yet. Not yet, but one day, hopefully. <laughs> And then the last question, uh, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now to be successful? Um, oh, that's a great question. Um, for me, I mean, this is really personal. I think that, uh, funding at the really early stage is so mm-hmm. critical. Um, you know, I think, bringing a product or a service, whether it's deep tech or a marketplace or anything, you know, the capital you need to really make it a success um, and get to product market fit um, really requires some capital injection. And I think that there's an amazing focus from investors right now on female entrepreneurs, um, but we're still only getting a few percent of funding every year. I don't Mm -hmm. want to give an exact number Mm -hmm. because I don't know the latest. But I think the, the last time I read it was less than 3%. Yep. And we sometimes are competing for those same funds. Yep. Um, uh, and so it pushes us all to 
be raising with more advanced metrics and traction mm-hmm. and, and fees. Um, but it's really hard for a lot of entrepreneurs to even get to that point. Um, so I would say really early angel stage investments and more grant opportunities are really critical for us to start seeing innovative solutions from non-traditional founders and, and different types of backgrounds. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, I was mentoring a femtech um, founder the other day and she said, I was talking to an investor and they gave me two contradictory things that I should work on. And I brought that up to them, right? And so apparently this investor told this founder, you need to focus and show traction in, like on this one thing. And then um, she said, okay, so I'll do that. And then they said, well, and by the way, if you only do that, then you're probably not a VC backable company. You need to show diversity, more like a platform. And so the founder goes, well, which one do you want? Do you want me to focus and hit traction and milestones? Or do you want me to like expand development and not have traction, but have lots of possibilities? And so the founder brought it up to me, which one do you think I should do? And I said, honestly, I go with traction. That's the advice I gave her you know, pick one, focus, do it. And I said, but you know what? That advice speaks to the bar female founders have to hit or femtech founders have to hit because we have to overcompensate for being a taboo topic, being a taboo founder. You know, what if we're pregnant and pitching? That's taboo because you don't normally see it, you know? And so all of a sudden there's so many more expectations on us. And so I cannot wait for us to start you know, we have about seven strong femtech exits over the last few years. I cannot wait for more because all I have to do to get y'all funded is say, look at the numbers, look at the numbers, you know, that's all you got to do. Say you missed out on all these returns. Don't miss out again. Invest in this deal, invest in that deal, right? Money speaks, money talks. Mm -hmm. Obviously I'm very passionate about that. (laughs) We need, more, we need more advocates in the investor community to help us get to better solutions. Yes, uh, yeah. There's so few, there's so few funding at the idea concept for women. Mm-hmm. Um, even if the amount of funding is going up, I, I'm always curious to, and I don't have all the data, but to look at how much traction women need or how yeah. much they need in the R&D pipeline to get that same amount of money compared to men. So yep, yep. Uh, we need more, we need more investors like you, Brittany. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I thought Femtech Focus was going to be a VC fund. And then I realized I could actually fund a lot more Femtech companies if I just have a nonprofit that convinces other funds to invest. You know, rather than have my own $100 million fund, I should just convince $100 billion funds of the world to put their money into it, you know? So that's the, that's the goal. Well, Kathy, this has been so much fun. I am really, really inspired by your product. I love the business model. I love what you're working on. This is, I love that it's medical, like verified, super awesome. Super, super awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to my interview with Kathy Sabig, CEO and founder of Gila Health. I thought it was super interesting that Gila Health found that women prioritize their family's health over their own sometimes. Also, many women are not in a financial situation where they can afford all the new femtech products and services. We're seeing a lot of this where femtech company business models are actually targeting employers to pay for the product to improve the health of their female employees. Check out the Gila Health Marketplace at gilahealth.io. Remember, memberships are only five bucks. 
a month. And if you sign up before September, because they are looking out for all of us experiencing this COVID pandemic. If you're an employer, then please reach out to Hela Health about starting a membership to give your women employees access to products and services that they need in order to be healthier, happier, and more productive in the workplace. Now, don't forget the big news. Femtech Focus is collaborating with the Guild to bring you the first virtual Femtech Accelerator. Be a part of it by applying at letsguildacademy.com backslash femtech. Applications close September 18th. Tomorrow, Thursday, August 27th at 2 p.m. Central Time, I'm giving a webinar on the Femtech landscape, what's being worked on and what still needs innovating. Register for the free event on our website, femtechfocus.org. Also, sign up for our newsletter on the website too. Enter your email and you will get our newsletter. I promise it's only really, really important news. We do not want to spam you, uh, but you want to stay up to date. So um, definitely sign up for our newsletter. Very excited about that. And if you love this podcast as much as I do, please support it. Follow us on social at Femtech Focus. Share the show with your friends. Rate us, review us, subscribe. And until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.